welcome, welcome to Restoring Relationships podcast. We are so, so excited today to have with us Jansen McNair, and I look forward to sharing all that he does to bring restoration and healing within our communities. Welcome, Jansen. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good morning, uh, Brian. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on and joining us. So I always like to start by highlighting our special guests. So I'm going to just share some of your background. Jansen McNair became the director of the Office of Public Integrity in January 2021 after serving 25 years in the Monroe County Sheriff's Office. Director McNair retired from the Sheriff's Office as commander of the Staff Service Bureau. He served four years in the United States Army during Operation Desert Storm, and also Director McNair has extensive institutional knowledge of Monroe County's government to supplemental to supplement his career in the military and law enforcement. He holds an associate's degree in liberal arts from Monroe County Community College, a bachelor's degree in communications from SUNY Brockport, and a master's degree in criminal justice administration from Cayuga College. Director McNair is a certified inspector general. He also is an active instructor with the New York State Division of Criminal Justice Services, where he currently instructs officer wellness and suicide prevention. Please give a warm welcome from Jansen McNair. Thank you. Thank you. So I always want to, you know, give my special guests the opportunity to kind of give their background and share some insight of what they do. So please tell us more about yourself, how you got onto the path that you are today, and in your current role, your experiences. Um, so as I stated in, in my bio there, I spent uh, you know 25 years working for the Monroe County Sheriff's Office. Um, you know, I started there in 1996. Uh, when I started there, I, I worked in the jail bureau. Um, you know, it, it wasn't my career path that I thought that I was going to take. I always wanted to get into law enforcement. Um, I thought I was going to be out on the, the road patrol, uh, you know, being a superhero. Uh, but uh, so I started there because it was just the first opportunity that presented itself for me. Uh, so and but when I started working inside of uh, the jail here in Monroe County, I, I realized that there was a need you know, for me to be there. Um, and, and I was put there for a reason. Um, and, and when I went to work every day there, you know, I, I tried to help someone. Um, and, and really, that's why I, I chose a career in public service to begin with, because I, you know, I like helping people and, and I am a, a people person. So I was right in my element working inside the jail. Um, you know, as I worked there, you know, I took as, you know, as many promotional exams as I could to, uh, you know, rise up through the ranks. Um, you know, of course, you know, with any any career, you know, you see problems that you want to fix. Um, you know, but you, you can't fix those problems unless you have a seat at the table. So, you know, I felt that I need to be promoted, you know, as much as I could to, to be able to fix those problems and bring about the change that I saw that was needed. Um, ultimately, uh, my last two years, I was uh, appointed to uh, commander of staff services. Um, and actually, you know, just to, you know, pat myself on the back a little bit. I was, the, you know, the first uh, uh, African-American to be um, to reach that level. Um, in the Monroe County Sheriff's Office. So that was the, you know, third in command at the Monroe County Sheriff's Office. So I was very proud, you know, of that appointment. Uh, and I did that for two years um, and uh, until I was uh, approached by uh, the county executive to uh, take over the role that I currently sit in as the director of the Office of Public Integrity. Um, and what we do in the Office of Public Integrity is that we investigate any fraud, waste, or abuse by uh, county employees or contractors doing 
doing uh, business with the county. Um, so, you know, we just look at, uh, you know, a lot of operations. We look at a lot of contracts. You know, we look at uh, just making sure that, you know, the county is running efficiently. And then when the county is working with uh, outside vendors and contractors, making sure that, uh, you know, the county is getting what they pay for. So that's what I currently do. Wow, there's so much we could just talk on right now. <laughs> uh, so much has ha- been highlighted for me. But what stuck out to me the most was your accomplishment of being the first Black male in Monroe County to be third in line. And so I think that in itself is a testament of all the work that you put in um, to make a difference in our community. Uh, can you share more about what that meant for you um, and what it means for our, our children, our students who are the future? Um, Absolutely. Um, and it was definitely a great accomplishment for me, uh, you know, individually. But I think it was also, you know, not that you know, um, it, it was a great accomplishment for the county as well as, as for the sheriff's office to to realize. And, and I'm not, you know, you know, braggadocious to say that I was the first person that was uh, that was eligible for that. There was a lot many uh, African-Americans that have come before me that have paved the way for me that have you know fought the fight and, and the struggles um, that opened that door for me. Many of them could have done that job that I did and should have been appointed that position that I was appointed to. Um, you know, there was, you know, there was, you know, news that was there, of course. And one of the news reporters asked me, you know, kind of that same question. And I was like, you know, I'm just the first one that they gave it to. They could have given it to many before me. Um, not that I didn't do the work, you know, to be there, you know, I agree with that, but many have done the work before me. So it, it was definitely an honor to, to finally be recognized. Um, but it was, you know, it, it was long overdue for someone, you know, uh, you know, a black man, you know, a, a black woman to, to be, you know, appointed to one of those positions. Couldn't agree more. And I think that's, you know, the heart and vision of our communities is to get there um, in regards to providing opportunities for our black and brown um, students, but community members as well. And in these influential roles of leadership to bring forth change. Um, and we know there are many systems that have been put in place to create barriers for us to get there. But it's a blessing that all those that have paved the way right for us now. And I connected that as being an assistant principal at my young age as a black woman. There's not many black educators in education. Um, there are not many black uh, administrators or leaders in education. And so I take it as a privilege. I know there could have been more than just me stepping in that role. I know there's others out there, but there are few, especially in Monroe County. Um, So I take it as an honor and a privilege and know that I am hopeful for this to be our our new future, our new outlook um, in creating those opportunities and spaces uh, for us to make a difference because it's just not important for our black and brown communities to see us in these leadership roles, but also important for our white allies as well. I think also, you know, on that, you know, we, we have a duty when we get into these positions, you know, to not uh, sit back and say, OK, I've made it and, and now I'm here. Um, we have to continue to open doors, you know, for other folks. And that's why that we're in those positions. Now we have a seat at the table. So now we need to be able to open the doors and open the eyes, you know, of, you know, of our counterparts, you know, if you will, or our colleagues to show them, OK, when promotions need to be made, you know, not to overlook, you know, our, our you know, black and brown candidates for those positions, which have been in the past. I'm never going to allow you know, someone to be overlooked um, now while I'm sitting at the table. Um, and, and that's what, uh, and, and one of the things, if I can, when I was the commander of staff services, the sheriff's office, one of the things, the areas that I was in charge of was uh, recruitment. 
Um, and uh, so I, many years I had ideas about recruitment. I, you know, I, I felt that, you know, we were doing it all wrong um, because we could never get the numbers for, uh, that we needed and wanted what well, they say they wanted anyway um, on the uh, sheriff's office. And uh, so, you know, the sheriff, to his credit, came to me and he said, OK, so what's the problem? What are we doing wrong? And one of the things I told him was the reason that you don't have black deputies on the Monroe County Sheriff's Office is because you don't have black deputies on the Monroe County Sheriff's Office. That's why I said black people are going to go, you know, where they see other black people. If I'm a young black male in law enforcement and I want to go into law enforcement, I'm going to go where I see other people like me. I said, but you do have some folks, so you have to showcase those folks. You have to put them out on the front line on your recruitment team. You can't have, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's very difficult for a, a white deputy to recruit, you know, black candidates. You know, if you put a black person in that uniform and put them where black people are and they're going to relate to them. So, you know, really quickly, we we uh, so he said, OK, you know, you do it. He said, if you have these ideas, do it. So, you know, in, in one year, you know, when I was in there, I was there for two years. And, and the one year after we put it all together, uh, we increased the amount of black applicants for the civil service test for deputy sheriff by 55 percent just by going and changing the way that we recruited. So you can't recruit the way you recruit in the past. You have to change it. Now, that that didn't trickle down to being 55 percent more in the academy because there's other roadblocks that are put in place to keep us out of law enforcement. But what I was able to control, we were able to change other things in the system. I wasn't able to control, but we just have to change things. And, and I guess back to my original point, when we have a seat at the table, we have to make sure that we are making sure everything is all inclusive. That's so powerful that within just one year, yeah. you using your influence and leadership and your role, uh, to get us to 55% applicants increased. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Black and brown uh, yeah. future, uh, where he's desiring future candidates. Um, in the place I can't, I appreciate it. And I can't take away from, I mean, Sheriff Baxter was very influential in allowing me and saying, okay, yes, here. You know, he appointed me, put me in that position. And he said, you know, let, let's go, let's do this. You know, here, what are your ideas? Because he could have just put me in that position and put me there, you know, as a token, and not allow me to do anything and, and not give me any power. He gave me just as much power as the, as the person that was there before me. And even more, I had ideas and he said, okay, that sounds great here. This is your area. You do it. You know, and, and he took some of the credit for it, which he should, you know, I worked for him, you know, I, and I've always worked in the military, you know, you always worked in a chain of command. So, you know, my job is, is to make my boss look good. Um, and, and we did during that, that period of time. And, and, and again, and I, I'd appreciate him for giving me the opportunity to show you know, what I could do for the sheriff's office. And, and we did those things. You know, but do we still have problems? Absolutely. We, we have big problems, but you know, we have to conquer them one at a time. There's so much in that that I want to highlight. <laughs> there is. There's so much good stuff. I appreciate your honesty and authenticity because it's going to be powerful for our listeners to hear. First, starting off with the fact that a white ally, right? So your 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 chain of command giving you that space, creating a safe space for you to lead um, and supporting you. That is the work. That is the work that we are behind as a community, and that we're we're trying to shift. Is we need our white allies to create these spaces for us to utilize the seat at the yeah. table if we're given it right. Yeah, and so absolutely. Powerful that he provided that space for you yeah. and the impact as a result. 
that was quite effective and efficient. And like you said, there's still more work to be done. There are still systems in place that create roadblocks and barriers, which is unfortunately why we didn't get that 55% to transfer over into actually made it through the academy. But that's okay because we still saw yes. And I agree with the, the 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 statement that you made about you know our white allies. You know, we have to. We, we didn't create this by ourselves, so we're not going to fix it by ourselves. But when when folks are standing by us and trusting in us and believing us and knowing and giving us the respect you know that we need and the space that we need, um, that's that's when we're going to bring about change. Because if it's just us that are making the complaints and just us that are banging on the door, you know, then we're, we're going to get that old you know stereotype that we're just you know angry black people. Um, but you know, when we have our white allies that say, no, this is not right. Or giving us to open the door and say, okay, yes, come on in. This is, we want your opinion. And we, when, when I sat at the table, you know, for many meetings and whatnot, I was many times the person that had the different point of view than everyone. Cause I sat around in executive meetings with all white males and everyone got a say. And then when they got to me, I said, well, you know, let's get comfortable because, you know, McNair's got a different <laughs> view on this you know, than, than you guys do. So you know, we're going to be here a while. Um, but th we would leave there and everyone have an understanding of each other. And now all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the viewpoint of a black male in this organization is getting, you know, some airplay. So which was great. Amen to that. And I think it's also a testament, not just our white allies, but also you having that bravery to use your seat. For I didn't sure. always have that. And if I, you know, you know, I know we have some questions, but, you know, you and I can talk all day. Oh, I, I love this. I know it's great. It's, it's flowing. It's natural. Go for it. I, I, you know, and, and I did not always have that bravery because there's that's why when you get a seat at the table, you have to, you know, be able to have a boss that's going to allow you to speak. Um, and, and how law enforcement works and how the military works is, you know, you really have to, you know, you would get promotions, right? But you can get promoted and, I mean, do high on a test and not get promoted. So you really still have to be able to fit in. So there, everyone has a place. There's a gentleman that I started in the academy with that he was more of a, and I, I laugh when we talk about this all the time, because he was more of a Malcolm X type of person. Right. He was going to, if you don't give me the seat at the table, then I'm going to knock the legs off <laughs> and then we're all going to sit on the floor. You know, he had that type of mentality where I was more of, a, OK, I'm going to do this kind of a Martin Luther King way where I'm going to work with them and talk with them. That way I can get a seat at the table. He never, you know, he never wanted to get promoted. He wanted to be, you know, boots on the ground, you know, fighting from his level, which was fine because because I needed him during my career as well. You know, you need your allies. I needed him to say there was times where. I couldn't fight that battle, but I would go to him and I would say, listen, here's a battle for you. Here's what's going on. You need to say something about this in your space. Right. But there's other times where he would have to come to me and I would have to go to the table and I would say, OK, this is where we need to fight this at the table. And so it, you, we, we all you know, need to come together and we all have to respect the fact that different people have different roles. Now, I understood that he never wanted to get promoted, but he understood that I did. So he would keep me out of things. He would say, okay, McNair, this is not for you. You need to stay away from this because we need you at the table. He goes, I'm going to fight this down here. We need you at the table. So don't come to this. Don't come to this meeting. Don't do this. So you can stay clean because when you get at the table, then you can continue to protect us. So, you know, we need all, we need all of our allies. Ah, uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't. 
Ah, you're bringing it back to Malcolm Max and Martha King Jr. It is. Come it on, is. Come on, it's <laughs> get better than this. And yeah. they vote for needed. And I'm not yes. going to get into choosing one other for our listeners, right? Yeah, you sir. have the perspectives on both. But yeah. we've needed them both in different ways. And, you're, and I think it's just great that um, you had that opportunity to work together and partner and say, hey, man, I got you in this way. I got you in this way. We have one vision. We're just going to work together to get there, right? Yeah. And it may look yeah. differently for us. The battles we face may look differently, and we may have to come and merge together depending on the battle. And wow, is that powerful. And if every space could be like that, yeah. if every space could be like that, we just work together yeah. and not against each other. Don't see each other as competition, but in, in one unit. And, and, there, and we didn't always agree, you know, and, and when it came to things, we, we again, we didn't always agree. So, and we could fight and we can argue, you know, but, you know, I take it back to, you know, and I would laugh about this with him as well. And I don't know if you remember the movie, you might be too young when, you know, when Morgan Freeman, uh, you know, and, and lean on me um, when, when, you know, they, you know, the superintendent, I forgot the guy's role, he came in and they're arguing and then they argue and he told him, listen, I'm still in charge. Right. He didn't say it that way, but we know what he said. He said, I'm still in charge. And then when they finished arguing, he said, okay, now let's go get something to eat. <laughs> you know, and that's what it comes down to. We have to understand everyone in their space. There was time when I had to tell the guy that was my friend that we came to the academy together. Well, you know, he didn't agree with my decision, but, you know, I was in charge at that time. And I said, I'm in charge. And he was like, oh, you think you're bad, don't you? No, I don't think I'm in All right, let's go get something to eat. All right, let's go. You know, it's over with. We leave it there because we came in as friends and we're not going to let, you know, the job, you know, come between us. But sometimes, you know, you know, there's going to be disagreements that are going to happen and we leave it at that space. And then we go to another space. Oh, we can learn us young <laughs> folk. And even yeah. those who are older generation can learn from this wisdom. I'm learning from this wisdom that you're just sharing with us, you know, being able to leave our own concerns, our own, implicit biases, our own needs, or I don't know, our own visions for us to come at the door to come together for a shared vision. You know, I think that's just powerful. And it takes it takes bravery. It takes confidence. It takes experience. And it takes wisdom. And I just hope that we can get to that space where, you know, we can agree to disagree. Yeah. And too often society right now, there's either highway or, or nothing. Like either sure. you either agree with me or nothing. And that's a yeah. problem. And it's so sad our society has gotten to that point, but that's where change and growth can't happen because we're not we're absolutely all, correct. all have the same and right answers. Yeah. And I have to, you have to, and, and I think that a word that I use a lot is humble. You know, you, sometimes you have to humble yourself and you have to choose your battles. So I mean, when I had a seat at the table, sometimes I would sit and say, okay, you know, am I really going to fight this one? Is this the one that, that I'm going to hang out there? Is this is this the line that I'm going to die on? And and then sometimes I I give my opinion, and they would disagree with it, and I'd let it go because I've already put it out there. And there's other ones that you know you can't. Okay, I'm not going to let this one go. This one, you know, they are going to see it, you know, my way. Um, so you so you have to you have to be able to to move delicately, you know, in that space, right? You know, through our lives, we learn how to manipulate, you know, in a space that we're not comfortable with. Um, so we still have to still do that um, in in that boardroom and, and still be able to manipulate because it's still not our space yet. So so we still have to keep them up inviting us. And if we're always adversarial in the meetings, 
then the the invitations are going to get fewer and fewer because they don't want to always argue with us. But sometimes, you know, we have to choose our battles and decide, OK, this is the one one of the ones that, that I'm going to continue, you know, continue to fight for. Um, and 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 we do that all their life. I, you know, coming up in law enforcement, as you can imagine, you know, being a black male coming up in law enforcement is very, very difficult um, because y- you you don't fit in that this is not where you're comfortable at. So now you have to be one way when you're at home and you have to be another way, you know, when you get to work. That doesn't mean that you you overlook things that are, you know, that are being done wrong. I'm not saying that, but you have to learn to manipulate in that space. Um, I had a gentleman one time that uh, we were talking, having an open conversation and, uh, you know, you know, the deputies were saying they would always say, hey, let's go out after work. Great. Let's go out after work. But I have to be comfortable going to an establishment where I'm going to walk in there and I know that I'm going to be the only black person that's in that establishment. And I have to somehow feel comfortable in that space, which we have adapted to and we've learned to do as we move up and become you know, executives, if you will. Um, so I asked the gentleman I was having a conversation with, I said, what about if you, you know, go to an establishment with me where you're going to be the only white person that's in there? You know, would you feel comfortable as you expect me to feel comfortable? And he gave me an honest answer. And he said, no. Um, and I can respect that. If we can sit down and have conversations, honest conversations with each other and, and be respectful with one another, I respected his answer. So I said, imagine how I feel when every time we go out, you know, I have an uncomfortable feeling and I look around the room and I count, okay, where's the other black person? And, you know, of course you give them that head nod that we all give them like, okay, I know you're here. You know, if it hits the fan, I got you. <laughs> you know, I know we're outnumbered in here, but we'll do what we can do together. But anyway, um, that, you know, that, but that's a difficult you know space to be in. And, and unfortunately we have to, if we want to uh, progress and be promoted and, and and again get a seat at the table we we have to somewhat feel comfortable in that space and and, and this as a black woman right yeah people of color period are feeling that across america and in so many different spaces and we're just expected to just make it our normalcy and be okay with it and comfortable with it and i think that obviously we have been trained and normal it's kind of normalized for us just expect to walk in a room and not see many of us. And especially in education where now I've seen some stats change. So a couple years ago was 90% of educators were white. Now there's some data saying there's 75% are white women, right? That still alone is is, is a a high number, right? So when I'm walking in many spaces within the educational system, I'm not seeing me, right? Whether it's a male, that's a person of color, or a woman. I'm not seeing many of us. And it's something and, and I've gotten used to it, but sometimes it's uncomfortable. And it's unfortunate that that's one of our battles, right? That we can't really walk in a space and, and see many of our people in certain systems, right? Uh, more than others. Uh, so you just sharing that experience and hearing from you know your partner and saying, hey man, like if I were to invite you to one of my spaces, right, where there are more people of color than there are white, how would you feel? And it's powerful that he gave you a true and authentic response. Because yeah, right that's now, what I wanted. Yeah. That, that's what I was asking for is a true and authentic response. And, and just going back to what you talked about, um, about education and, you know, and the, the, the teachers and the, and the educators. Um, so if you're seeing it right and, and you're, you know, at, at a, you know, at a higher level, the unfortunate thing is that when we try to put our children in a space um, and they see it. 
So, and I didn't realize how much that it affected children um, until my son came to me one day and I think he was in third or fourth grade and he goes, you know, and at that time, you know, the people were, you know, brown and tan, you know, which was great. Um, he goes, he goes, there's another brown girl in my class. And he was in fourth grade. And it was the first time that he had not been the only one. And, you know, and we, we sometimes we forget it, you know, with our children, because we just want to give them the best education that we can. And we try to put them in the best school district that we can. And we forget that, um, that it's obvious and they have the same struggles and look at the same things that, that we look at, you know, as a, you know, as a fourth grader. Um, and it was interesting that the year that, uh, that our school district uh, switched to, uh, you know, urban suburban, we won't even get into that whole controversy, but they did it. Um, he came back the next year and, you know, he was just excited after school and he came to us and said, and we're like, Hey, what's going on? He goes, there's three other Brown kids in my class. Yeah. You know? And to be at a young age and to think that, you know, many people will try to tell you that, uh, you know, you know, things are changing and, and whatnot and, and these things don't exist and, 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 and everything is equal and, but they're not. Um, and to, to see a fourth or fifth grader to, to come out and, 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 you know, and we don't really talk a lot of, you know, strong things like that, you know, in the household, at least we try not to. Um, we, of course, we try to shelter our children and protect them as much as we can. Um, so, and then for him to bring it to us, then that just, you know, opened up the conversation, uh, which was great. And I think that that is great that he was able to come home and celebrate that. And yeah. there's beauty in that, but also a little sorrow for me, right? Because sure. me, I'm, I know I'm honored. And I know it's a blessing and a privilege to be in my role because I see how my, not only my students, but my families of color, black and brown families, uh, interact with me. And every time a family member comes in and then sees that I'm a person of color, it's they're in awe. They're congratulating me saying, I feel safe that you are with my child. Like that is, it's beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time that it took a person of color who you can identify with, understand our background, our, our our culture, and say, I feel safe that my child has you in the building. Wow. That's just yeah, that's deep. It's very deep. But you know, and, and I can absolutely relate with that because as I was coming up through the ranks with the sheriff's office working in the jail, you know, the, of course there will be guys that will be angry at the beginning of my career when they didn't know me. Um, you know, and, and you get the, you know, your uncle Tom, you're enslaving your people. And then I would, you know, you know, be honest with them. I would say, you know, you should be glad that I'm here. Um, and later on when people got to know me and, and realized they would say that, man, McNair, I'm glad you're here, but you know, who knows what would be going on if you weren't here. And then as I would get promoted, um, the sad thing is I would get more of the inmate population of the incarcerated folks that would congratulate me. They would see it in the newspaper. They would see it on the, in the news and they would keep the clippings, you know, to, to show me, you know, when, when I came through and that was, you know, amazing for me that, that they, here we are incarcerated people that were happy for me that, that I got promoted. That's deep. So. It is deep. Like that they, that is deep. There's no words for that either. Like that's in itself a testament to how important it is for us to be in these spaces, to be in these roles so that people can identify with us. So they always talk about, you know, wanting more educators of color so our students can identify themselves with us and see themselves in leadership roles and know that it is possible. And so what a blessing it is for our community to see you in the role that you've been in 
right? Um, and all the roles you've been blessed to have and, and, and be honored to have you in that role and say, man, I feel safe with you in that role. Man, I know it's an honor and a blessing because it's better for us, right? Um, in so many ways. It's better for all, not just for us as a black, black and brown community, but better for all, including our, our, our white allies <laughs> um, and white yeah. people in general, right? Um, because not all white people are allies. And that's the issue, right? We were dealing with systemic racism and structural racism within so many facets of our, our infrastructures and communities. Um, so that's a problem. The, the desire is to get there. Right, where more and more white people are, you know, our allies and and standing with us for unity and equality for all. But those are words we use so often. But are are we seeing it? Are we seeing some changes? Are we seeing a difference? Are we creating more spaces for our voices? And so I'm just blessed and honored to sit here with you and see that a space was created for you that you worked for. Yeah, <laughs> you worked yeah. it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. I, I can't imagine. I don't like that. I, I don't know a piece of what it, it was for you to get to where you are. Right? I'm not going to say that I do. Um, but I'm glad that you didn't quit. You didn't stop. And here you are today. Thank you. And, and I appreciate that. And again, I think that, you know, I you know, wanted to be, you know, a role model for others as, as others were a role model for me. Um, and you know, I have, you know, two boys that I'm raising, so I you know, want to be role models for a uh, role model for them. Um, so they can, you know, see and achieve what they want to achieve. So, you know, and again, I, and I know there's still work to be done and, you know, and you know, I'm not going anywhere, even though I'm not with, you know, the sheriff's office anymore, you know, and now you have a, you know, a larger role, you know, with the County, you know, but I, you know, I still, you know, even when I accepted the role with the County, um, you know, one of the things that I, and I told the County executive during our meeting was that, you know, I'm still going to be me. So if you're looking for something else other than, you know, Jansen McNair, you know, you might want to look somewhere else because you're going to get me. And I'm at the point in my career where I don't really care, <laughs> you know, what I say or, or who I offend, because um, I can just take my retirement and, and go off into the sunset. Um, so that is, you know, in an, in a sense, almost more dangerous, <laughs> if you will, if you want to look at it that way, because now, you know, I've accomplished, you know, you know, many things. Um where, you know, now I can just take the, the experience that I have and, and help others, you know, accomplish and, and rise to even higher places than I have. I think you highlight something so important that it's, it's, a, it's a great accomplishment that you've gotten to a place where you can now just be yourself and be like, listen, I've accomplished. I put the work in, right? I fought the battles. Don't come for me. <laughs> I got the experience. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. That, exactly. That, you put it perfect. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't come for me. I've done it. Um, but now I can also, it's almost like there's a role reversal, right? So when I talked about, you know, the gentleman that I went to the academy with that, you know, didn't care because he didn't want to get promoted. He didn't, he didn't need that. He wanted to, you know, knock the, the legs off the table. So that's kind of where I am now. You know, I've gotten to the place, you know, where, you know, I, I feel comfortable, you know, what I've achieved in my career. But now, you know, I'm now in the, there, if there's folks that are coming up in their career and they need to be a little more calculated, um, I can speak for them. And I can be that person and say, don't worry about it. I'm going to handle this you know, at my level. And now what's great about where I am now and, and what I've done is I can make a phone call. Right. And and people are answering the phone. So whereas that person that be coming up to the ranks, they, they may not be able to you know, go in their phone and, and pull up, you know, the, the, the sheriff and call the sheriff on his personal cell phone or call the chief of police on their personal cell phone. And they answer 
because you're you're you know you're in their contacts. Um, so I can make those phone calls if I need to, but at the same time, again, you don't you know you don't just call and make those phone calls for nothing. So if they know that you're calling, you know they know it's something that they need to pick up. So I'm I'm blessed to be able to be in a space where you know you know I have those folks and I've met those folks and I've made those contacts where I can help others. And, you know, and I have. Um, you know, when it gets to that point, it's like, okay, th- this is not right. You know, let me make a call and, and let me call you back. And then, you know, I call him back and like, okay, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> you know, so it's good. I, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm a, in a very comfortable uh, space in my career right now. And I, and I love that. And I'll be honest, I haven't been education long, right? For me, it's, it's been seven years, five years full time. And I was subbing during my graduate program, but I will be honest, you know, my faith in God and my experiences, my family, my support system has gotten me to a place at 27 where I can say, I am okay with being Briar Potter. And the spaces don't, they don't accept that. And then I won't just be in the spaces. And so I am honored that my district, my superintendent is allowing me to be fully who I am. And that's not in every district and every space. But I am blessed that I can be my authentic self and show up to my job each and every day and be my authentic self. And it's taken me some time to get there. I know I'm young, but it's been a journey. And it's it's my leaders that have who allowed me and create those spaces to say, hey, Brian, you be you. We support you. You be you. We trust in you to do the job that you do well. And so I'm nowhere near where you are, Chancellor McNair, um, but I pray and hope to get there one day. Uh, where you've just put in the time and the work to where you are so heavily respected that, like we talked about, don't mess with Jason McNair. Like <laughs> I, I don't know if it's all, I, I didn't say that. You said that. I didn't say I that. Said it. <laughs> you say, okay. So I'm just appreciative and thankful for you, you know, to give people like me, young folk, <laughs> wisdom and excitement for our futures, right? If you put the work in, the time in, um, and willing to fight those battles, but also willing to lay low and walk in humility when needed. It's using that wisdom and that experience and those growth, but also takes our allies um, to pre- provide us with those spaces. So, um, you know, just so much learning for me in this, this interview. And I know for those who are listening, and it's an honor. So I'd love to, to end, Canton, um, with you being able to share, you know, for those out there, what advice do you give? Um, for those who want to make a dynamic and positive change within their community, bringing forth restoration and healing in so many ways that you touched on. Um, and I'm sure that we haven't even been able to hear yet, right, from you. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, as I think everything that we talked on during this interview is kind of those things you, you have to, you know, it's a chess game. Right. So you you have to, you know, move, you know, delicately and, and calculated and and, and and your move and, and the things that you're they're going to do. Um, you you also have to um, have those honest conversations with people so people understand you and your space. But you also have to be willing to understand them in their space. I think when we're talking about bringing about change, you know, in our communities and bringing about change within ourselves, and it's not always about, you know, you listen to my struggle, you listen to what I have to say, um, but we also have to listen to what have to they have to say and how they don't, you know, understand maybe some of our culture and the things that we do. Um, so we have to be willing to allow them to understand, right? Allow them the space where they can understand us. Um, and I've, I've talked about it many times. If I don't tell you that something offends me, then how do you know and, and that it offends me? And if I don't tell you why it's offensive, um, 
then and how do you know now after I tell you and you continue to do it you know then we have a problem but I've just learned and you know in my you know little bit of time on this earth that uh you know I and the people that I've dealt with have I dealt with some bad people sure I've dealt with some bad people and I've dealt with some people that just don't know and they don't understand and they want to understand and when I tell them where I'm coming from and they were like oh okay well that makes sense you know, I, I, and, and and not to belabor this, I had a, a conversation one time with with you know someone in, in a high ranking position, um, and uh, something had happened, and we were investigating it, and it was in a racial issue that took place. And I was in internal affairs at the time, and I was investigating it, and my boss came down, you know, very high boss came down and apologized to me. He said, "I'm sorry that you have to go through this. I'm sorry that you have to deal with investigating this racial situation. You know, it must make you feel uncomfortable um, to ask this person these questions and whatnot." And I said, "No, it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable." Um, I'm doing my job, first of all. And, and I said something to him that was very shocking to him. And, and, and I don't think he was ready to hear it from me. I said, unfortunately, in my life, in my career, now I'm in a place where I have to look at everyone as a racist. And he was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, because I've been let down so many times by people that I've given trust to that I figured that, you know, this guy's not, you know, a racist. I said, until you prove it to me otherwise, I said, and many people in my circles have, I said, I look at everyone as a racist because I can't afford to be disappointed and let down again or, or, or by someone. So I said, that's how I live guarded. I have to live my life guarded. So when this person made this racist comment on Facebook and now we're investigating it, it doesn't surprise me. It surprises me when he doesn't. And I'm, you know, happily surprised that this person is in the fight and in the battle with me and is an ally. And, you know, at that time, I don't think he knew how to take that. <laughs> but unfortunately, you know, that's kind of some, you know, how we have to live um, in order to, to not be, to be let down and to not be hurt. And hopefully, you know, that will change. And I've had many, and, and to not to end it on that bad note, cause I'll end it on a positive note. I've had many, many white allies that have, you know, proven me wrong, that have surprised me in a positive way. And I, and I appreciate, you know, all of those people. And I think it's, it's a mix of both, right? Cause that's the world we live in. So I'm all yeah. for sharing the reality and being authentic with our experiences. So I can agree as a black woman, you know, uh, I think it's our duty as black and brown people to be willing to enter into those courageous conversations and allow a safe space for our um, white people to be able to share um, maybe their misunderstandings, lack of awareness, lack of understanding implicit bias that they hold and be willing to learn and be teachable. I think that's that's the issue and the divider is there are some who may not know and don't want to care to learn. And there are some who uh, may not have that much information, understanding regarding racism and implicit biases and so forth, but they want to hear our voice. They want to hear our heart. And so I hope that those kind of spaces, uh, which are identified as white allies, are going to continue to increase and grow. And so when you said, you know, how we have to kind of prepare ourselves that, you know, even if we have a close friend who is white, that they may just slip up and say something racist because of the society that we've been in, we've been trained and um, put in positions to, to, to have certain thoughts and perspectives and, and idolations and also just mindsets that are damaging. And so uh, I think that's wise 
to, you know, be willing to always uh, take the stance of being a teacher, um, not only just a teacher or listener as well, because those, those two go hand in hand. So I appreciate it, your, you know, authentic response to your higher command and you being honest with him, because I'm sure in that moment he learned something, you know, so it's all about those teachable moments. So I appreciate you sharing that. But also, I, like you said, I can, I'm blessed that I've encountered some white allies, you know, and I thank God for them and uh, continue to hope that that is what our, our new outlook on life and our future is. More white allies who are willing to create spaces um, and to be a part of courageous conversations. So um, I just, I thank you, Jansen, and I'd love to, you know, leave it for you to share any other advice or last uh, words of encouragement to our listeners in our community. Um, and, and again, I, I, and thank you, actually, uh, Brian, for allowing me the time and to be here. And, and I, I love, you know, talking about, you know, me, of course. Yeah, I'm the number one authority on me. I don't think anyone knows more about me than I do. So uh, <laughs> I, I, enjoy, I appreciate the time. And I, I just think that, you know, we're, you know, we're we're coming up on a positive change if we just, you know, continue to, to like you said, you know, be open and, and, and to have conversation, have those courageous conversations with folks, you know, we, we, we can't always be defensive. You know, we have to allow, you know, people to understand us and, and know, you know, why, you know, why who we are, who we are. And, and we need to also be able to understand and open up and, and realize why other folks are, are, are who they are. You know, this is a fight that we're all in together. Um, and, and I think, and again, I don't, I don't know if I'll see it, um, but I, I think down the road, you know, there, there's going to come a time where we'll look back at these podcasts and, and, and whatnot. And, and, and someone will say, well, you know, what in the world was that? What, you know, what world did they live in? You know, just like we look back at, at history, and say, oh, my gosh, I could never have lived, you know, as a slave, right, uh, as an enslaved person. I, I could never live like that. And, and to, to be where we are now is definitely we've moved, you know, you know, we, we've moved forward. Um, and I think, you know, another, you know, 400 years from now, when, when folks are looking back at how we live and they're going to say, oh, my gosh, I couldn't have lived like that. Um, and so I, I think there there's there's hope. Um, I'm appreciative for the for the opportunities that I've been given and, and that I fought for, you know, in my career and, and to be, you know, aware, you know, sitting comfortable where I am now. Um, so, and, and I hope for, and I know for there's going to be better things for, for you. Um, you know, and, and I'm very proud of, you know, that the, the things that you've accomplished in a very short amount of time and just looking at, you know, my children and knowing that, uh, you know, the spaces that we are creating and the opportunities that, that we're creating for them, you know, and so so they can achieve, you know, many things greater than what we have. So, again, thank you for the time. Thank you for the space. I'm always, a, as you can see, I'm a talker, so I'm always available to talk about my experience and things that are going on. So, but thank you again. Well, I thank you, Jansen. I'm a talker myself, hence why I'm doing a <laughs> podcast, because I just love rich conversation that is authentic and real and just grapples at some really interesting, but also important uh, topics of conversation. And so all that continues to stick out to me, there's so much, but just in those last uh, words of wisdom, is there is hope for the future. And um, you're foreshadowing what I hope is to be our future, whether I'm here to see it, you're here to see it um, prayerfully that um, in years to come, this, these kind of conversations are formed because it's not the experience of, of our people. The black and brown people and uh, that we're all just seen equally, you know, uh, seen for who we are with our color, but uh, not treated differently for it and not uh, 
barriers put in our paths uh, because of it. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. There's not enough thank yous I can have today for this powerful uh, interview. And I would love to have you on again. So uh, the invite is always open to you, Jansen. So thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on today. All right, thank you again.